Continuing on our, in our series on these great passages that uh, God has given us, these special passages where the Bible itself draws attention to them. Today we come to the great, the great commandment, the greatest commandment, whichever you want to call it. Our passage is Matthew 22, beginning in verse 36. Someone comes, one of the Pharisees comes and asks Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus never referred to the golden rule as the golden rule. He never referred to the Great Commission as the Great Commission, as far as we know. But he did refer to this commandment as the great commandment. This is the first and great commandment, or greatest commandment. So, let's walk through this passage and, uh, and consider what Jesus is saying here. First of all, his answer to the question, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. God wants us to love him with everything. To love him with all of our being. That's what he requires of us. Now when it's, he says to love with all our heart, soul, and mind, this isn't three specific ways that he wants us to love him necessarily. They express the totality of our being. We're supposed to love God with everything we have. Everything we are. The problem is always not loving God enough. Never loving God too much. You can't love God too much. And if we're married, we should long, long for our spouse to love God more than they love us. The spouse that loves God most is going to be the best spouse. You don't want for God to give you love, for someone to give you love that belongs only to God. Then you become their idol and no one can bear the weight of being someone's idol. Now your friends may think that you take this God stuff too far. But you can never take loving God too far. And when we hear this, this kind of cr criticism, we should be ready to say, oh no, in light of how much he has loved me, my problem is that I don't love him enough. We all love many things. But what do we love more than anything else? 
of all the things we love, what is the one thing we'd be willing to give up everything else for? The greatest obligation of life is not to do something, but to love something or to love someone. The greatest obligation of life is not to believe something. In fact, the distinguishing characteristic of saving faith in the book of James is that it includes love for God. The demons believe in God, but they do not have but they do not love him. In fact, they despise him. The greatest commandment is not to fear God, not to obey God, not to trust God, not to humble ourselves before God. The greatest commandment is to love him. Now, someone might say, aren't these really the same thing? Well, yes, but not completely. It's not accidental that the greatest commandment is to love God. Because whom you fear and whom you obey and whom you humble yourself before springs from whom you love. When Jesus gives this answer, he's not only resolving a theological dispute, he's giving us a glimpse into the very heart of God. He's showing us what's most important to God. You see, God is relational and has been since all eternity past. Love is the heart of God's heart. God is love, as John tells us in 1 John 4, 8, and then again in 16. God doesn't demand we love him out of a desperate need to be loved like many earthly politicians and rulers. He commands us to love him because he loves us so much. God wants us to love him so much because he is supremely lovable. He made us for love. He knows we are cut out for love. That love is the highest dynamic of human existence. He knows that loving him is the greatest way we can be blessed. Because he is the one who made us and he made us for this. To find our greatest fulfillment and joy in loving him. Loving him is what we were made for. The supreme happiness of human life. Failure to love God is the heart of human sin and the heart of human misery. When a man looks at one who is supremely lovable, supremely beautiful, supremely worthy, and instead of loving him, turns away from him as if he is disgusting, or looks the other way as if he's nothing, or curses him as if he's evil. That is the greatest sin and the essence of all sin. And this is how we are by nature. In my heart there is a treason, one that poisons all my love. As the song says, 
Sin involves loving things which shouldn't be loved and not loving the one who must be loved. It's what defines what's wrong with the human race. The heart that is straight and true and right sees the ultimate beauty and loves it. Only when there is something very off and twisted in a man's mind and heart can he look at him who is surpassingly beautiful and worthy and not love him. Now let's go on to the next verse, verse 39, where Jesus says, and there's a second like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is very interesting. Jesus was unwilling to answer the question as it was asked. They asked him what the greatest commandment was, and he answered them. They never asked him what the top two commandments were. They never followed up with a question, and so what's the second greatest commandment? And yet he answered anyway. He wouldn't leave it with just one. He refused to leave it at just the greatest commandment. He was unwilling for the second commandment to, to go unmentioned. What does this tell us about this second commandment? It tells us that even though it's not number one, number one does not stand alone. Number one is not sufficient by itself. It's so important that Jesus insisted that it be included in his answer to the question about the most important commandment. Though commandment number one is ultimate and supreme, number one was not enough for Jesus. So why is he so insistent? What is so important that he says, gives a double answer to the, a single question? Well, he wants us to, first of all, because God, in loving us and calling us to love him, he wants us to reflect him in that love by the way we love others. He made us in his image. That's an important part of who we are. And he wants us to be like him. So he wants us not only to love him, he wants us to love others. But the second thing, second reason why he insists that there's two commandments seems to be that the test of, the, of love for God is love for neighbor. If you don't have love for neighbor, it proves that you don't actually have love for God. If you have been given love for God, which only comes as a gift, then you'll also have love for neighbor. No matter how much you think that you love God and claim that you love God, if you do not love neighbor, you do not love God. That's what John keeps saying in 1 John. For instance, in 4.20 he says, 
If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. In other words, when he says, I love God, he's lying to you. It's not true. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's not enough to love God. Well, that's a little too bold. Here's a more careful and sound way to say it. It's not enough to just love God. If you truly love God, you will also love your neighbor. And this is such an essential characteristic of true love for God that Jesus doesn't think it's enough just to say, love God. Just saying, love God, can be a cop-out. It's very easy to deceive oneself into thinking that we love God while there is actually no love for God at all in our hearts. So Jesus gives us a litmus test by which we can evaluate whether we really do love God and its love of neighbor. Of course, it can also be a cop-out to just say, love your neighbor. So many... Think about how many more people would love Jesus than do if he just answered the question, what's the greatest commandment? If he just said, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh man, that would, that would bring out so many crowds, so many people would love to, to celebrate Jesus and lift him up if he just said, love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, that's it. That's what we want to hear. But that's not what he said. He said, first, love God. Second, love your neighbor. The liberal church emphasizes love for neighbor and minimizes love for God. The conservative church often does the opposite, emphasizing love of God and minimizing love of neighbor. But Jesus doesn't do either of those. He insists on both. This last week, uh, at our presbytery meeting, we had a number of testimonies of men coming into the presbytery, and one of them stood up and said, I had the great blessing of growing up in a Christian family. He said, I had a mother who always said, at my funeral, I just want people to say, she loved Jesus and she loved me. And that's all. I thought, wow, that's great. That is great person who just cares about doing the two things God has called us to do. Now, notice that this isn't just about loving the brethren. It's not just about loving the ones easy to love, or the ones we're comfortable with, or the ones who are like us, or the ones who are of our own race, or our own country, or or of our own values, or our own age. Remember, Jesus actually had a commentary on this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And certainly one of the things that is taught by that parable is that you love your neighbor by not just loving people who are like you or of your group. And it's also not about loving just sort of a minimal amount 
We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And you know how much we love ourselves. The third section, moving down to verse 40 now. Love is the summary of the law. And the summary and the specifics are both essential. Jesus said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's what it's all about. But again, the summary of the law, which is to love, and the specifics of the law, which are the details of the law, are both essential. The law is fulfilled in love, yes. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said the uh, golden rule in everything treat people the same way you want them to treat you and then he said for this is the law and the prophets it's all about love in Romans 13.10 Paul said love is the fulfilling of the law now some people take this to mean something very different than what Jesus meant they take it to mean that the laws aren't really important only being loving but that's not at all what Jesus meant Jesus wants us to be big on obeying his law he himself said if you love me you will keep my commandments John 14 15 he wants us and calls us to be deeply committed to his commandments and to their to our obedience of them. What he's saying here is that the law is the details of how we're supposed to love. He's telling us about the law. He's telling us that the law, rightly understood, is actually all about love. And this tells us something important about the law and something important about love. Love does not replace the law, but it does help us see the spirit and intent of the law. It does help us to understand how we're supposed to go about obeying God's law. We are to obey God's law in light of the fact that he intended it to be a guide for love. And we are to obey God's law in a manner that is consistent with the love intent of the law. Jesus wants us to not just outwardly conform to the law. He wants us to obey from a heart of love. Love for him and love for fellow man. This is real obedience. This is the real law of God. And if we view God's law as a list of outward rules, or if we merely obey in an outward sense, we've missed the heart of the law. All we are is a bunch of Pharisees. That's why Jesus kept stressing the commandment to love. So there are two dangers here. There's the fallacy of thinking that the summary 
to love is all we need. There's a way of using love to undermine our duty to the law. And we need to be aware of this danger and avoid it at all costs. It's evil. People have different impressions and opinions about what love requires in a given situation. How, do we, how are we to love in this situation? How are we to love when that happens? How do we love a person who's like this? How do we love a person who does that? Everyone has an idea about what is the most loving thing to do. But God doesn't just leave us with a command to love, to do whatever we think is best to love in a given situation. In his word, he tells us many specifics about how to love, what to do in order to love. It's not just the motive of love that's important. It's also the right actions which are loving. When God has spoken, we don't just do what seems to be loving. We lovingly do what God has commanded, trusting him that he knows best how we should love. And that in his word he tells us what he means when he says to love. Let me give you a few examples. When people live as though they're married, when they're not in fact married, the world thinks that they are loving it, that they may well be loving each other. But that's not what love is according to the scriptures. In the world's mind, some people think it's extremely unloving to suggest or imply to someone that they might be on the path to eternal punishment. But according to Jesus and his word, this is sometimes an important act of love. The other danger is the fallacy of thinking that the particulars of God's law are all you need. When you're trying to obey God's law, it's easy to forget that all of God's commandments are ultimately about love. If you obey the laws without doing it out of love for God and for man, you have missed the big thing about the law. Obeying the rules without it being all about love makes obedience wooden or even cold. It can easily be a way of using the law to ignore our duty to love. And we need to be equally afraid of this error and danger and avoid it at all costs, for it is equally evil. When Jesus came, one of the things that he found deficient in the way the law was being handled was that it was being followed without regard to love. And this is a violation of the essence of the law. And Jesus helped us to see that by telling us that the greatest of all the commandments was to love God and to love our neighbor. You can't grasp love without grasping the law. And you can't grasp the law without grasping love. And so, this 
is what Jesus said in answer to the question of what the greatest commandment was. There is one who is supremely lovable and cherishing him and adoring him, having affection for him with all our being is the first duty of all beings. We have a hymn that we sing sometimes, More Love to Thee which asks God to help us love him more. And that's a great song to sing and a great prayer to pray. It's his highest command. And we certainly need his grace to love him more than we do. But the fact is the Bible doesn't actually have a lot of prayers like this. What the Bible does have is prayers that our eyes will be opened to how loving he is. You see, that's the best way to grow in our love for God. To realize how much he loves us. To realize all that he's done for us. And continues to do for us. And promises to do for us in the future. The person who loves God most is the person who best grasps the love of the Lord for us. Loving God isn't really something you do by trying hard to do it. Loving God is something you do by investigating, by pondering, by enjoying and celebrating the love of God for us. I would suggest that this is what theology is ultimately all about, or should be about. It's an investigation into the deep and multifaceted love of God for sinners like us. And if that's not what theology is, what good is it? And if that is what theology is, then all of us should want to be theologians. We love him not just because he's in charge and commands us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but because he is so supremely and eminently lovable and lovely and adorable and worthy of being cherished, has he not shown us how lovable he is in his word and in his work? By loving us with such a great love. But of course it's possible to be blind to love. It's possible to be the object of great love and yet blind to that love. It's possible to be loved deeply and faithfully by a parent, by a sibling, by a friend, by a secret admirer. And yet to be blind to that love or even to treat it like it's trivial or insignificant. And so many people are blind to God's love, all of us to some extent. 
Every breath that they take, every bite that they eat, every beauty that they see, every bit of human love they experience, it's a gift of God's love. But so many don't see it. And yet in the end, because of sin, even our love for God is a gift that he gives. As Romans 5.5 tells us, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The new birth, which Jesus referred to in John 3, by which we come to see his love, by which we come to love him, is God's gift of love to us. Do you love him? If so, that didn't come from you. It came from him. Every true believer loves God. But none of us love him with our whole heart, soul, mind. As he deserves to be loved. But at least by God's grace, he's gotten us started. And one day, those who love him now will love him more and will no longer be held back by sinful limitations. I urge us all to strive to understand more of the love of God for us and to seek to have our eyes opened more and more to its power and its glory and its beauty and its profundity. That is the secret to loving him more. And now we come to the table of our Lord this morning, which itself is a great demonstration of the love of God for his people. How generous and gracious he is to give us a weekly reminder of what he has done for us by giving his body and his blood to be the source of our salvation. And each week he calls us to celebrate this, to celebrate his love for us in his redeeming act in Christ. And this morning I urge you especially to come with an awareness of how we are feasting upon the love of God in Christ when we feast upon the sacrament. And the one who can grasp God's love for him will inevitably love the Lord more. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, You have displayed such an amazing love 
how high and how wide and how deep and how long it is. And Lord, we know that it's so much bigger than we can see from where we are. And we pray, O Lord, that the eyes of our hearts might be, by the power of your Spirit, enabled to see better, to realize more fully that our sinful, hardened hearts might be melted by the heat of your love for us, O Lord. Help us now as we partake of the sacrament to feast upon the love of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.